you please uh, take your scripture and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, and this evening we'll be looking at verses 18 through 25. We begin our, our journey through the Gospel uh, last Lord's Day, looking at the opening uh, words of the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ and uh, joined in amazement at the long line of sinners from which the Savior uh, was to be born, but came from a long line of sinners in order to save those sinners uh, from their sin. And so tonight we pick up the story beginning at verse uh, 18 and reading down through verse 25. So this is the living and abiding word of the Lord. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people From their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can together, Lord, by your Spirit, join in song tonight and prayer, and also join humbly uh, before your word. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that your word is truth. You sanctify us uh, by the truth. And so, Lord, we pray tonight that Uh, You would indeed carry out your perfect will in our lives, sanctify us, set us apart, draw us more closely to you, we pray, uh, through this word, as we go forth to live this word in the week to come. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, first of all, I guess I I better uh, say at the outset that, yes, it is okay to uh, consider the birth of Jesus outside of Christmas. Uh, you might be thinking to yourself, "Wait a minute, are we allowed to are we allowed to turn to the uh, incarnation and the birth of Jesus outside of Christmas Day? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So get just set that aside. It's okay. It's all right. And so we are in the uh, in the Gospel of Matthew and uh, coming to these uh, very well known words. Uh, years ago, Bill and Gloria Gaither uh, wrote, of course, a song called uh, "There's Something About." That name. In uh, New Zealand, uh, there was a, a young lady who, uh, in 1974, was doing her laundry one day, and um, her husband had left the, 
the faith and become a Jehovah's Witness along with uh, their son, and she was being ostracized kind of in her own family, and uh, one day she thought she needed to really meditate uh, on the name of Jesus, and as she was doing the laundry, she put up a list of just the different names of given to Jesus uh, for her to meditate on as she did her, did her laundry. And out of that meditation, she started to hum a song and, uh, and then went to her piano and started to play it out and then, and then wrote it down. And, and it went like this, Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us, blessed Redeemer, a living word. There's something about that name. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ, the Bible said, took place in this way. Now, clearly, this passage of, uh, of Scripture is clearly concerned to communicate at least two things to us tonight that we want to think about. The first is the, the absolutely uh, miraculous, supernatural character of the birth of a son to Mary. That's certainly... Uh, certainly one of the, the very two things that this passage has to communicate, the absolutely miraculous supernatural character of the birth of this son to Mary. And the second thing is the absolutely gracious, merciful purpose of the birth of a son to Mary. So first of all, the miraculous character of his birth. Now, if you were an unbeliever, uh, reading the Bible for the first time, and you open to the New Testament, or you're given a Gideon Bible with just the New Testament, you probably could have read along with us last Lord's Day night and had no problem with the text, right? We read verses 1 through 17, this genealogy. Uh, genealogy is fairly uncontroversial, right? Some, sometimes there can be controversy, but not usually. There's nothing unusual there, perhaps, um, as an unbeliever, you wouldn't see God fulfilling his promises in history like we do. As an unbeliever, you wouldn't recognize perhaps the Gentiles in the list that we do. As an unbeliever, you would not recognize um, uh, the uh, terribly amazing and merciful humility of Jesus to be born to such a line, but you probably would not have been terribly offended. But then comes Verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, betrothal, more than engagement, it's a, it's a legally binding. You haven't been, um, the, the marriage hasn't been consummated, uh, but to break a betrothal uh, is, to, uh, is to really, uh, you know, break the marriage. That's why later in this passage, Joseph says we need to pursue a divorce. Uh, this betrothal in the, in the New Testament is a serious engagement to be married. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, that is, uh, there had been no uh, sexual union, there had been no sexual intimacy between Joseph and Mary before that happened, she was found to be with child, that is, uh, no sexual union, uh, but they're betrothed, and, uh, and she is pregnant. And the Bible says she's found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. That is, um, from a work of God. This is 
verse 18. J.C. Ryle said this, These are very mysterious subjects. They are depths which we have no line to fathom. We can't measure it, really. They are truths which we have not mind enough to comprehend. Let us not attempt to explain things which are above our feeble reason. Let us be content to believe with reverence and not speculate about matters which we cannot understand. Enough for us to know that with him who made the world, nothing is impossible. Now notice in this passage, of course, the quandary of poor Joseph in the face of this miracle. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So Joseph here, of course, faces a great, uh, a great dilemma. The woman he was pledged to marry is found to be pregnant, and what is he going to do? Uh, we often forget, I think, sometimes what this miracle uh, provoked in the minds and hearts uh, of those to whom this miracle came. And also, uh, perhaps, what it provoked in the minds and hearts of unbelievers who were watching on. We perhaps get some glimpse of this when, when Jesus, later in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John, is confronting uh, a Jewish crowd in John chapter 8. And uh, remember, he's confronting a group of uh, Jewish folks there, and they, uh, they claim to be from Abraham, and, and Jesus confronts them. Listen to what happens here. They answered him, these Jews, to Jesus, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now, said Jesus, you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. And then Jesus said this, you're doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality, we have one father, even God. Now, have you ever read that passage and, and said to yourself, why do, the, uh, why do the Jews there make this reference to, you know, we were not born of sexual immorality? Well, it could very well be uh, simply this, that while Jesus is uh, confronting them that Abraham is not really their father, were they perhaps suggesting to Jesus that it was, it was really Jesus who was not born? of his father, Joseph. Think of Mary. Um, yes, great privilege. But imagine the looks that she would have received. Don't forget that. Yes, an absolutely amazing, stupendous miracle. But for Joseph and Mary, these are difficult things. Joseph would have had to face these questions, but he shows himself here, the Bible says, compassionate and careful uh, and considerate. Uh, and the Lord graciously, the Bible says, sends an angel as he is pondering these things, considering these weighty things. What am I going to do? The Bible says this, verse 20. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And at that point, uh, friends, Joseph needed to needed to believe. No, Mary has not been unfaithful. Joseph, of all men, needed to trust the word of the Lord that was revealed to him. And he does. He does, right? Verse 24, 
When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she'd given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So here's the thing. Right at the beginning of the New Testament, you and I and every man, woman, and child is confronted uh, with the power and the might and the glory of the God of the impossible. Here's the thing. You doubt here. Uh, you doubt these words. Uh, you question these words. Say, well, that's impossible. How could anyone uh, become pregnant without that sexual union? How can this be? Well, the Bible tells you it is uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we confess in the Apostles' Creed, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. That's why the Apostles' Creed throughout Christian history, well, that's what sets apart a Christian from a non-Christian. Because when the New Testament begins with this revelation of the might and power uh, and uh, the God of the impossible, Christians, by faith and by the work of the Holy Spirit, receive that as Joseph did and Mary did as truth. You doubt here, you fall here. You rebel here, you close your ears here, you harden your heart here, you turn up your nose here, you, you puff out your brain here at Matthew 1.18, and the rest of the New Testament falls with it. He is the God of the impossible. Thomas Jefferson, writing to John Adams in 1823, said this, And the day will come when the mystical generation of Jesus by the supreme being as his father in the womb of a virgin will be classed, said Jefferson, with the fable of the generation of Minerva in the brain of Jupiter. But we may hope, said Jefferson, that the dawn of reason and freedom of thought in these United States will do away all this artificial scaffolding, said Jefferson. I hope that day comes, he says, when Reason will do away with belief in the God of the impossible. Richard Dawkins, modern day, said the virgin birth, the resurrection, the raising of Lazarus, even the Old Testament miracles, all are freely used for religious propaganda. And they're very effective, said Dawkins, with an audience of unsophisticates and children. You're dummies. Marcus Borg was a 20th century American New Testament theologian, and a scholar who grew up in a Lutheran home. This is within the church. I would argue, he said, that the truth of Easter does not depend on whether there was an empty tomb or whether anything happened to the body of Jesus. I don't see the Christian tradition as exclusively true or the Bible as the unique and infallible revelation of God. It makes no historical sense to say Jesus was killed for the sins of the world. I'm one of those Christians, he said, who does not believe in the virgin birth, nor in the star of Bethlehem, nor in the journeys of the wise men, nor in the shepherds coming to the manger as facts of history. I'm a Christian, he says, who doesn't believe anything <laughs> that the Bible says about Jesus. Well, you remember an angel also appeared graciously to Mary. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be, for nothing 
will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So not only does, does the angel say, well, listen, this, you know, this is the impossible, but God's doing it. But, but no, the angel says to Mary, this is happening so that you will know that there was, there's nothing that will be impossible for God. Luke 18, 27, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Nothing impossible to God. But for man, of course, we definitely know one thing is impossible for us. And that's Hebrews eleven six, which says, and without faith, this is for us now, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Nothing impossible to God, but for you and I, it's impossible to please God, you see, without faith. And right at the beginning of the New Testament, you and I, Joseph and Mary, are called to stand before the God of wonders, full of majesty, and before him we bow uh, in faith. By God's Spirit, we need to be convinced of the absolutely miraculous, supernatural uh, character of the birth of this son to Mary. The second thing we see here is the absolutely gracious and merciful purpose of the birth of a son to Mary. And we see this immediately in two names. One, a name Joseph would give to his son himself, and the other, a name by which the angel says, they will call him. This is what we read, verse 21. She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place, we're told, to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Writes J.C. Ryle, the name Jesus means Savior. It's the same name as Joshua in the Old Testament. It's given to our Lord because he saves his people from their sins. This is his special office. He saves them, says Ryle, from the guilt of sin by washing them in his atoning blood. He saves them from the dominion of sin by putting in their hearts the sanctifying spirit. He saves them from the presence of sin when he takes them out of this world to rest with him. And he will save them from all the consequences of sin when he shall give them a glorious body at the last day. Blessed, says Ryle, and holy are Christ's people. From sorrow, cross, and conflict they are not saved, but they are saved from sin forevermore. They are cleansed from guilt by Christ's blood. They're made meat for heaven by Christ's spirit. This is salvation. He who cleaves to sin or hangs to sin and clings to sin is not yet saved. You remember in 1 John 3, the Bible says that this is why he appeared. This is why he appeared to take away sins. Said Jesus, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus, of course, Old Testament Joshua means the Lord saves. The Lord is salvation. So here's the thing. He, he's coming for a purpose uh, to save, the Bible says, his people from their sins. So notice, by the way, the Bible says that he has a people for whom he comes. And uh, 
Later in the Gospel of John, right? John 10, 28, 29, we hear about Jesus speaking about how the Father has given to him a people. And, uh, and he has come for those people, and no one can snatch those people uh, out of his hand. Jesus has been given a people by the Father, and so the purpose of this son being born to Mary uh, is that he has come to save them. Now, here's the thing. Are you confused uh, about the purpose of Jesus coming? Many are. Many are confused today in world and church. Some say he came to bless me with physical health. Some say he came to bless me with material wealth. Some say he came to make me feel better about myself. Some say he came to provide an example for how to live, show what man is truly capable of. You know, you know you didn't have it in you, but you look at Jesus and you can do it too. Um, you, can, you can be like him. No. Um, uh, some believe he came so that uh, he'd give us a helping hand when we need him. Of course, we don't need him too often, but, um, you know, he'll be there when you, in fact, call out to him. Uh, he came to improve society. He came to show us how much we're really worth. He came to encourage us to be fulfilled in all the wonderful plans uh, we have for our own life. And so, you know, if you think the problem is you're confused, well, you need some education. If you think the problem is you're sick, well, you need a little bit of healing. If you think your problem is that you are a victim, you think the only thing that matters is that you get justice for yourself because you're only a victim, you see, and that's why Jesus came. No, the Bible says he came uh, to save his people from their sins. That means that our problem is sinner, guilty. The need is forgiveness and saving. That means, friends, the world's number one problem is sin, not gun control. The world's number one problem is sin, not the circumstances of my life. Number one problem is sin, not income level. Number one problem is sin, not my self-esteem. The number one problem, according to the Bible, is sin, not my lack of education. And therefore, the number one need for you and me uh, is forgiveness and salvation. The number one need I have, according to the Bible, is a savior, not a life coach. A savior, not a cheerleader. A savior, not a Santa Claus. Um, A savior, not a diet. A savior, uh, not a paycheck. A savior, not a flatterer. A savior, not a comedian. A savior, not an entertainer. A savior from my sin. And this Jesus, Matthew says at the beginning of the gospel, is such a savior. For uh, he, that is, for he himself, is what that says, will save his people from their Sins. How will he do it? 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In our place, condemned he stood. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Jesus is his name. And in fact, in the book of Acts, Paul will say in Acts 4.12, you know, there is, there, is no, there is no other name by which we must, not by which you can, but by which we must be saved, you see. 
I was reading a biography this past week of George Washington and uh, was reminded that when Washington became president, the vice president, John Adams, thought, you know, the executive should have a, a more weighty title. And uh, so Adams suggested to wa that Washington, you know, take the name Your Highness or, you know, Your Most Benign Highness. And instead, uh, Washington said, no, just, just Mr. President. You know, that, um, that's a name that signifies uh, my office. And Jesus, friends, has many glorious names, but the name given at his birth reveals his purpose for coming. Savior. I don't know if you've heard of Steve Green. He's written a lot of beautiful songs. One goes like this. Every day they pass me by, I can see it in their eyes. How about you? Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries. Only Jesus hears. We are called to take his light to a world where wrong, does this sound familiar? Where wrong seems right. What could be too great a cost for sharing life with one who's lost? Through his love, our hearts can feel all the grief they bear. They must hear the words of life only we can share. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord. When will we realize, says Steve Green, people need the Lord? When will we realize that we must give our lives for people need the Lord? That is our number one need. And the number one answer is, of course, that Jesus came to save. But he has another name here in this passage, a name that reaches back into the Old Testament promises of God. So all this took place, says Matthew, verse 22, to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. And of course, as we read through the, uh, the New Testament, and as we read through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, this is what we find. Of course, we find a Savior who at times is weary and hungry and thirsty. He weeps and he groans. Uh, he feels pain just like we do. And he's born here, of course, to a long line of sinners, uh, born humbly, we find, to Mary and Joseph. But we're also going to find in this same gospel that our Savior knew men's hearts and thoughts. That he had and has power over devils. That he could work the mightiest miracles with a word. That he was ministered to by angels that he allowed a disciple to call him my Lord and my God. And that he said, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> and I and my father are one. He's going to say, we're going to see both those things. Fully man and, of course, Holy God, Emmanuel, 
God with us. And so Hebrews will tell us he became like us in every way except for sin. And that means that he sympathizes with our weaknesses. And that means that, you know, he's made a way so that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness because he has made a way for us. He humbled himself, the book of Philippians says. He humbled himself even to death, even to obedience on the death of the cross. He took the form of a servant. So we can, we can trust him. Um, he sympathizes with his people. Lazarus dies and Jesus weeps. He's facing the cross and Jesus agonizes over the suffering to come. He was just like us in every way except for sin. But here's the glory and the hope and the wonder, says Matthew, of the birth of uh, this son to Mary, that he is, he is God with us. God with us. Now, this is good news. A mere man can't save anybody. A mere man, even a good man, a holy man, a perfect man, has no power over death and the grave. And no man can forgive our sins uh, against God, but God himself. And so one of the stories we will read in the Gospel of Matthew is the story of the paralytic who is brought to Jesus lying on his bed, and Jesus sees their faith, and then Jesus says to him, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And they're in a, they're in a, they're in a paroxysm, they, they don't, or I think that's the right word. Um, they're going crazy kind of thing, like, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. See, he can do both, you see, just like that. Forgive sins, uh, heal the lame, send them home, because he is... He's God with us. Friends, this is what the disciples needed to learn. You know, as Jesus spoke to creation, creation obeys. As Jesus rebukes evil spirits, they obey. As Jesus healed the lame and opened blind eyes and unstopped clogged ears and raised the dead, God with us, you see. God with us. And uh, when you look through the Scripture... What is the, you know, when, when God wants to encourage somebody, when God wants to, you know, put, uh, put strength uh, in their spine for living the Christian life, we'll say, for living as a believer, what does he tell them? Well, this is what he said to Joshua. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How how are we encouraged? How are we strengthened to live as believers in this world today? Matthew says, the one born Jesus to save us from our sins, the one born is God with us. Fear not, for I am with you, said Isaiah, God through Isaiah. Be not dismayed, he said to his people, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your 
Savior, God with us. And of course, you know, when you read through the Psalms, when the psalmist is, is, is in, in despair and crying out, what, does he, what, does, what is his greatest heart's desire? Well, his greatest desire is to be with God. You know, in Psalm 42, for instance, you know, I, uh, when can I go and meet with God? Well, Matthew says, listen, in Jesus, the one who's come to save you from your biggest problem, the Savior has come. He is God with us, with us in our pain, with us in our temptations, with us in our struggles, with us in our sin. And of course, because he's God with us, he can do something about that sin. And he will. Ed Welch, who is a um, Christian counselor for the Christian Counseling Education Foundation, said this, though his birth had more evidence of lowliness than glory, the gospel starts big. For instance, in John, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. From chaos to life, says Welch, that's what happened in the beginning, and that's what happened in Jesus. Jesus is the creator God, the life, the light, and he has come, God with us, to recreate a world that has been unraveling. His coming was no mere hovering. It was a full-on intrusion. The light and life entered into our earth, and his words and work will bring the creation to its intended state. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. See, the Gospel of Matthew is about the Savior coming, God with us. And for the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we're going to find out, well, what does that mean? How does, does that change anything? Uh-huh. Every, uh, you know, every single person who encountered the Lord Jesus, oh boy, there's no indifference. When someone encountered Jesus, either they hated him, or they loved him. And you know who loved him most? As we heard this morning, those who knew their sin best. Because in Jesus, they saw that their Savior had come, that God had come to be with not only others, but had come to be, oh, with me, with me in my, in my life, and to rescue me, you see. God with us. Do you know the name of Jesus? Do you know there is no other name by which you must be saved? Do you know the wonder of his birth, the God of the impossible? Yes, your God is that big. No sexual union from the Holy Spirit. New life in the womb. And do you know the purpose of his birth? Jesus, Savior, that we might be forgiven. Emmanuel, God with us, that we might have fellowship with the living God. And as we'll see next time, not only Savior, not only Emmanuel, but he comes uh, as the king, you see, the king of his kingdom. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious names 
of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you clear up our confusion uh, when we, by your grace and by your spirit and in faith, come again to the revealed word of God. Oh, Lord, help us tonight. Help us not to be confused about why he came. Help us, Lord, by your grace and spirit again, like the Apostle Paul, to confess that it is only by God's grace I am what I am. That you have come uh, for uh, the worst of sitters. You've come for sitters of whom I am the worst. So that, Lord, my praise and my response to you would be filled with thanksgiving uh, and adoration because I know that that you have come and you have, have chosen me and you have died for me on that cross. You've risen again, not because of anything lovely in me, but that you demonstrated your own love for me in this, that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us to know this Jesus as we go through this gospel together. Savior, God with us. King forever. Maybe so, for your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.